Welcome to the Why God Why podcast brought to you by Browncroft Community Church. My name is Dylan Carnival and I'm the Browncroft staff and producer of the show. I'm joined today by our hosts, Peter Englert, Director of Adult Ministries at Browncroft, and John Amayo, our Upstate New York Crew Director. Why God Why is a podcast where we ask 21st century questions about God that you never thought that you could. Today's guest is Michael Ware. He is a political expert and former faith-based initiative consultant for President Barack Obama. Today's topic, why are Republicans and Democrats so polarized? John, you know, as I think about this topic and I think about our guest, um, you know, I just think this is kind of the undercurrent of everything that's happening digitally, but the conversations that aren't happening in person. Mm -hmm. So I got introduced to Michael a few years ago and um, when he was working on President Obama's campaign, and he'll probably share a little bit more about that, he wrote a wonderful book called Reclaiming Hope about his experience. But I just feel like Michael knows not only what happens in Washington, but what happens outside of Washington with, you know, this perspective on faith, which is what I think this question sorely needs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't think any of us really need to be convinced that there's a huge divide between political parties right now in America. None of us really need that. Uh, but if you did, I think all you would have to do is say one word, probably impeachment. And probably all of us have some sort of reaction when I say that word internally. Some people are like, uh, I got to turn this podcast off. Some people are like, I hope they talk about it more, you know, whatever it is. It's kind of like we all have this emotional reaction, I think now at a pretty severe extent. And so how do we deal with this? How do we live in this climate? And might there be a better way? Might there be a better way forward? I, I, that's why I'm so excited to have uh, Michael join us today. I think he's going to add a ton to this conversation, maybe make some of us think differently than we have before. And uh, so, Michael, welcome to the Why God Why podcast. Great to have you here with us. Hey, it's great to be with you guys. Yeah, yeah. So let, let's start with kind of the basics, a little bit about you. Uh, to start off, before we delve into this heavy topic, uh, give us some of your background in politics. What are what are experiences maybe that that stood out to you as you've uh, worked within this world? Well, gosh, I, I mean the the whole the whole journey's been kind of a, a whirlwind. I mean, I, so I'm, I'm from I'm from Buffalo, New York, so so real close to go Bills to, to, to y'all. I uh, grew up got. Um, became a Christian through the ministry of Jerry Gillis at the chapel. Uh, and uh, when I became a Christian at about 15 years old, I, uh, well, first I thought I needed to like go to seminary, become a pastor. Cause, cause right. You just want to kind of do the most Christian thing you could think of. But thankfully I had folks around me who told me, uh, you know, Michael look around, there are folks, uh, folks who are Christians who are, who are not pastors. <laughs> and I thought, Oh, that's, what? you know, that's a good observation. Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, I was interested in politics from a very young age and, uh, you know, the vocational question that's guided my life, uh, and, and much of my career is, you know, what does it mean to be faithful in public things? And so that led me to DC. Uh, I met, Senator Barack Obama, sort of by happenstance, uh, in February of 2007, about a few days before he would announce he was running for president, 
And uh, we connected and 10 months later, I was in Iowa for the Iowa caucuses. So I actually just had the opportunity to be back in Iowa uh, last month for the first time uh, during the, the caucus season, you know, in gosh, so 12 years. Uh, and, and it was a pretty special experience. And so did that and ended up uh, we, we, we won the nomination, we won the election and, uh, uh, was asked to serve in the white house office of faith-based and neighborhood partnerships where I helped the president navigate, uh, religious, uh, issues and relationships for three and a half years in the white house before, uh, I led religious outreach for his reelection campaign. And so it was the sort of that season of my life was, um, uh, a, a whirlwind. It was, it was, uh, everything sort of stuck out. Everything felt new. Everything kind of, uh, felt, uh, like it had a weight to it. Cause, cause it, it, it did in a very specific kind of way. And then since then I've been, uh, trying to apply the lessons that I learned at the height of the intersection of faith and politics to help the church and Christian leaders uh, navigate public life with wisdom and discernment, uh, being aware of the challenges, but also of the opportunities in, in this 21st century, uh, you know, moment that we're in. And so, so yeah, so that's kind of been, been the journey. Uh, and uh, as, as Peter mentioned, I, I wrote a book about my time working for the president called Reclaiming Hope and uh, would love for folks to check that out. But uh, you'll, you'll learn much more about my trajectory uh, in, in that book. You know, Michael, before we go any further, let me ask you this. Um, <clears throat> what do you think surprised you the most about working for President Obama um, in the White House? Just what was the most surprising thing? You know, I don't know what was most surprising. Um, uh, here are a few things that stuck out. One, you know, the convening power of the White House is really unparalleled. Mm. You could bring folks together who would never be in the same room um, when when you're at when you're at the the White House. That that was something powerful to me, and it's something that's sort of stuck with me as I've left the White House and and seen sometimes how difficult it is to pull people together. And as a as a as a Christian, I'll say it was, you know, th there was a bit of of, of of um, bittersweetness to that because um, I, I was able to help introduce clergy who led churches in the same city, but it took the White House to get them to meet one another. Mm -hmm. uh, and they, you know, they had churches five miles down the road from one another and had, and had never found an opportunity to meet. And it was uh, sort of, uh, through through the White House, through politics that they got together, which is something that I've been attended to since I've left government. I don't think that's the way things should be. So I guess that was a little little surprising to me. You know, I, I will say I left um, I left the White House more optimistic about the role of faith in this country than than when I when I came. My my, my, my job in the White House was to work with faith based groups and individuals. Uh, and others who were focused on serving those in need every day. And so sh surely 
uh, interacted with folks who were uh, uh, maybe more sort of power players or more interested in, in, in other things, but the, the vast majority of my work was seeing, you know, really the best of the church and, and to see folks who were committed to public service. And so I'm not sure I'd say that that was a surprise, but it's something that I've, I've taken with me as well. Wow. That's a, you know, I I just think it's helpful because I, I think if you spend any time in Washington, you find out how interconnected things are and how maybe the, the news we're getting isn't so true. So I think that that's helpful. You know, before we go um, really digging deep into the problem between Democrats and Republicans, you know, I'd like for you to just kind of share at best, what do Republicans represent for the Bible at best? And then at best, what do Democrats represent biblically? And again, we're not trying to stereotype, but just kind of from your purview, um, I think kind of starting with, at some mutual agreements of the Bible and each party, you know, how would you kind of describe and answer that question? Well, you know, it's, it's difficult. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm usually cautious about these questions. Uh, and the reason why is, so C.S. Lewis in the uh, politics chapter in Mere Christianity says something along the lines of, you know, scripture does not offer a particular political program. It's uh, scripture is to be used by men in their time, in their place, um, you know, with, with discernment. Basically what he's saying, and he actually writes this specifically in another essay of his, it, uh, it, it's, it's a little known essay, Meditations on the Third Commandment. And in the essay, he says that, um, and again, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but he says the the greatest temptation when we combine faith and politics is to claim God has said when he has not spoken at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, To to sort of use the authority of scripture to sort of bless our particular political ideas. And so that's all very important to keep in mind. It's going to uh, I think it has a great effect on the conversation that we'll have later sort of in this podcast about polarization, but uh, to be like less technical and just sort of to not to like evade your question. Um, you know, I think, uh, well, I'll say one more caveat, which is it's very difficult to tell what uh, particularly the Republican party it stands for right now. Is it the party of George W. Bush and compassionate conservatism? Is it the party of Paul Ryan? Uh, or, or is it thoroughly the party of Donald Trump? And if so, you know, Donald Trump not being a politician, not being someone who frankly has thought a great deal about public policy, isn't someone who has really um, uh, set the Republican Party in clear uh, ideological uh, uh, foundations. And so, so with all of those caveats, you know, traditionally, uh, you know, the Republican Party of the modern era, I think, has, has contributed something important when it comes to, uh, uh, and, and something that re- it reflects, I think Christian values when it comes to the role of the family, when it comes to uh, the role of 
uh, mediating institutions or uh, sort of institutions between the individual and the government. Uh, I, I think the Republican Party has uh, offered something uh, valuable when it comes to uh, religious freedom. And so uh, I think the Republican Party is, has contributed important, important ideas. Uh, on the Democratic side, I, I think a commitment to uh, 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 commitment to uh, the 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 least of these, and and a a, a, a posture that uh, we ought to be uh, we ought to be helping those who are uh, less fortunate. I think a commitment to uh, civil rights uh, that reflects uh, the the dignity of folks. Um, uh, I think a um, a commitment uh, around uh, environmental stewardship, mm-hmm. and so you know we we could go down. And of course, you know when you when you name some of these issues, there are exceptions, right? So Christine Todd Whitman uh, was a Republican from New Jersey, uh, led the EPA under Bush, I believe, was very committed to the environment. Um, you have uh, Democrats who. Uh, care very much about the family. Uh, last night, we're recording this on Sunday, last night, uh, John Bell Edwards, the Democratic governor of Louisiana, won re-election. He's a pro-life governor who signed into law one of the most significant pro-life pieces of legislation in the country. Uh, and so even today, there are uh, some politicians who break from party orthodoxy uh, but remain members of that party. So uh, uh, all that to say, it's 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 not the most straightforward question. There are there are kind of uh, general principles that we could say. Well, maybe the Democrats are more closely aligned on this. Maybe the Republicans are more closely aligned on this. But I'm I'm generally wary of of, of saying you know which which party is more biblical. Yeah, it makes it makes me think, Michael, as you're talking, that one of the things you might be indicating is that uh, political parties are made up of people, uh, which are unique. You know, everybody is unique and individual. And so so it's that's uh, what makes them glorious. But that's also what makes them extremely complicated at the same time. You know, it's it's tough to kind of put a label on something when it's, you know, made of people. Uh well, look, so so this is this might advance our conversation a little, but might move the ball a little further down the field too early. But we're okay with that. By the way, something, Just... that, something that lies behind the way that we think political part think about political parties. The reason why we'd ask a question, um, which th- th- this isn't exactly what you asked, but 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 yeah. I, but you know, I, I hear as I travel around the country this the kind of question that's you know, which, which party is more Christian, you know, which party better upholds biblical values. It is in political parties interest to treat themselves as brands with, with which we uh, must identify and with uh, that, that we treat as the static thing, but parties have never been that mm-hmm. they're not intended to be that uh, political parties are not, uh, uh, are not, Static things—they're not meant to for us to sort of uh, simply sign over our conscience to whatever the party platform says at a certain time. Political parties are actually vehicles 
for carrying the values and mediating the priorities of diverse groups of citizens. Uh, we don't participate in political parties for them to sort of change our views. We poli- we participate in political parties to change them. That's mm. the whole point of the whole the whole mm. thing. And so uh, it, it's a it, 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 one of the drivers of polarization is that we have uh, started to treat political parties uh, like they were our sports team or like they were, they were something that represented who we are as people. And that's placing far too much meaning and burden on political parties. But again, that's in the party's interest. If they could convince you that politics is about, uh, uh, is all about team blue versus team red that helps them raise money that helps them not have to work so hard because you end up voting against the other party instead of voting for the one that you're, that you're uh, a part of. But, uh, but as Christians in particular, that, that that's not the spirit with which we should uh, engage politically. I love, I love where you're going. And, um, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I had a feeling you were going to answer the question the way you do, which is why we're glad to have you on this podcast because it's not simple and it's complex. So, you know, I guess as someone that's an expert, has American politics always had this hum and maybe now it's just louder of political parties being against each other? Or, you know, do you feel like there was a moment in the 20th century that things shifted? So, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, Netflix just put out a series about the 1968 uh, debates between Gore Vidal and William Buckley. Um, Do you think it's always been there? Now we're just experiencing it more. Or do you feel like this polarization is something new to the 20th and 21st century? How do you kind of kind of work yourself through that or think about that question? Yeah. So polarization is not new and polarization itself is not, is not bad. Uh, politics is about disagreement. It's about, uh, you know, advocating. And when people decry polarization today, they're not decrying polarization per se. What they're decrying is what political scientists call effective polarization or what uh, uh, what some other sort of thinkers in this space call toxic polarization. And by that, they mean the, uh, kind of what I was referring to in my last answer, which is uh, that the polarization becomes an antagonism towards, uh, towards fellow Americans. Uh, it, it becomes, uh, let me give you a great example. So in 2014, uh, a study came out that kind of showed the high water mark in party polarization uh, in the modern era. One of the data points attached to that study, um, if you were a parent in the 1960s, uh, 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 researchers asked parents in the 1960s, who would you not want your child to marry? And in the 1960s, the answer was, I would not want my child to marry someone of a different race. And I would not want my child to marry someone of a different religion. Mm. In uh, 2014, same question is asked. If the parent was a Democrat, they said, I would not want my child to marry a Republican. If the parent was a Republican, they said, I would not want my child to marry a Democrat. Mm. That is That is what we're talking about when we're talking about sort of uh, a heightened polarization, a polarization that is not common throughout 
throughout American uh, history. Um, surely there have been times of greater incivility. We had a civil war. Uh, that's not what folks are referring to. They're referring to uh, a, a different phenomenon of folks' values uh, and their their feelings outside of politics towards their citizens being sort of tainted and, and charged um, because of partisan identity, which is destructive, I'd argue, to our politics and destructive to our, our communities and, and social cohesion and the way we live together. Yeah, so so let me follow up on this with you because I think what you're saying is is pretty significant. Um, would would you be saying that essentially there's always something in our society that we kind of put up on a pedestal in one way or another that we, we that that becomes this thing that separates us to to kind of say I'm in this. I'm I'm part of this group. You're part of that group. I'm part of the the in crowd here. That means that I don't accept you. It just happens to be that that politics happens to be one of the main ways that plays out now. Is is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, I think there's there's a, a lot of truth to that. Uh, uh, partisan identity is is now a a primary sort of form of self-expression, of finding community, of um, of sort of seeking meaning in a way that uh, it, it wasn't always in the past. Mm. So that even if you had, uh, uh, obviously we've had very significant political disagreements um, through our, our history, the fact that they are so tied to political party is, if not new, uh, not typical. Mm. So, so certainly there were times when, uh, when there were cleaner divisions among party lines. I mean, think about the very early days of, of the, the, the founding, you know, the, the, the sort of federalist, anti-federalist split was, was pretty, was pretty significant. Uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson and, and, and Adams had some very, uh, had some really significant disagreements. But we are, according to social scientists, dealing with, with something that is, that is different in, in this particular moment. And, you know, there are a lot of, sort of theories for why that is the case, uh, increasing isolation, the segmentation and, um, of, of media, um, mm. secularization and sort of the, uh, retreat of religious meaning from American life and sort of partisan identity, helping to, to try and fill in that vacuum. I mean, there are a lot of reasons uh, that, that people put forth uh, for that, but, but I, I think the way you put it is, is, is generally, generally right. Partisan identity is, is taking up a new meaning in people's personal lives in some ways, even separate from the, the practice of politics. Uh, in a new way. Michael, you know, I, I just want to get super practical. So I don't want to make any assumptions about our listeners. We could have everybody from, you know, Trump supporters to the most progressive liberals, um, you know, and this this podcast is probably going to air sometime in December. 
And, um, you know, just from all of your conversations with the people that you're having, what's the best way to engage politics with people that we disagree with that we leave actually like living out the gospel, loving our neighbor, even though we disagree with them? What are some of your, you know, advice for that? Well, politics is about the common good. Mm-hmm. It, it's, but uh, politics is about how in community we figure out how to live together and promote human flourishing to the extent that, that politics is charged with that responsibility. Uh, so often, instead, we go into politics seeking to prove ourselves, seeking to prove others wrong, seeking to win an argument, mm-hmm. uh, seeking to uh, 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 feel as though we've accomplished uh, sort of self-expression and and uh, uh, pursued self-affirmation. Um, and so we need to take out, I, I've said before, the, the, the problem is not that we take politics too seriously. The problem is that we take po- politics seriously in all of the wrong ways, mm. which is to say, I think there's th- th- this group that is over-invested in politics as a source of, of personal meaning and as frankly a form for self-aggrandizement. And then I think a lot of us see that. And the temptation is to say, oh, the problem is these people are taking politics so seriously. I'm not going to take politics seriously. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. And that's sort of going to be my witness against uh, the spirit of the day. Mm. Uh, I would argue that that is actually catering to the spirit of the day. Mm. If you're withdrawing from politics, in response to those who have made an idol of it, you're responding to an idol, not to God's call. Uh, and so uh, for, for folks who want to think about what it means to be faithful, thinking about public things, uh, you can go into politics. And when I say go into politics, I just mean whenever you're engaging political ideas, whenever you vote, whenever you think about doing advocacy in your community, you can do so in a way that's other centered Mm. in a way that isn't primarily about sort of uh, yourself, but considers the needs of your, your neighbors. And you do so in a way that, uh, so, so Dallas Willard is someone who's, who's meant a great deal to me in my life. He has a book called the allure of gentleness, Mm um, which is, uh, explicitly a book about apologetics, but I think quite a bit applies to, to public life. And and in it, he basically says that he'll never, um, he would never agree to debate uh, someone. He would say that he, he would be uh, willing to go on a, uh, a, 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 a joint conversation of mutual inquiry mm. to seek the truth together. Mm. what if our politics was about seeking the truth together not about trying to bash people over the head not about trying to prove that we're right but having the humility to to say hey do you know what in community uh, other people even the other political party might have something to contribute uh, that can refine my view that might be better than what I have in mind uh, that might cover a perspective that I don't have, but because we live in a pluralistic society, it's important that we, 
we we make political decisions considering multiple perspectives. What if that was the way that we went into politics, as opposed to uh, feeling like like we have so much emotionally at stake when we enter into politics? Mm. And I want to be want to be careful here. The, the idea is not that uh, politics. Uh, doesn't affect people personally. Politics affects people's personal lives all the time. That, that's why we have to take it seriously because it's not—it's not a game. There are real consequences. But uh, what I find, and I would—I would be very hesitant to lay this charge against a person, but I feel more comfortable laying it against a culture, which is that we are going to politics to get emotional and spiritual needs met. And when we do that, we're actually making it more difficult to go to politics to pursue justice and affirm human dignity. Wow. When we treat politics for things that's not meant for, it makes it much more difficult to, to go to politics for the things it is meant for. Yeah, that was just a, a, a real mic drop moment that you had there, Michael. <laughs> that was uh, fantastic. I think when we're pursuing politics, like you said, to meet our emotional and spiritual needs, that, that certainly puts us in a different spot. Um, but the way you're describing what you're describing is so countercultural. I think the, the, the vision that you have is so countercultural to our current climate that I think for some of us, we just have a tough time envisioning what this will look like. Like how in the world could that possibly be? Um, I don't I don't know if you have people that you've encountered that you're like, this person is a great example of that. Like, this is somebody who I, I look at and I go, they really understood this principle. Have you did you during your time in politics or even now, do you have people in mind that you go, these are kind of exemplars to me of what it likes to what it's like to live in that? Well, look, so when I left government, part of what I was looking for uh was was uh, to see if if I could um, implement some of what I experienced into something that was 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 healthier, and so um, so so the you know the first place I point people is to an organization I joined a year ago uh, or just over a year ago called the Anne Campaign. It's a new organization. Uh, you could learn more about us at annecampaign.org. Uh, and this is a diverse uh, a Christian civic education and advocacy organization uh, that is about um, expressing a faithful witness in politics that is not beholden uh, to sort of the, the partisan claims of our time. And so would urge folks to check that out. We, we actually just released a statement on the 2020 election have been joined by uh, uh, signers in Rochester, actually, and okay. across the country, uh, Christian leaders, as well as uh, folks uh, who are uh, in, in, in the pews, uh, uh, who are uh, just seeking uh, a healthier way, a more faithful way to participate in politics. And so I'm excited about that. You know, I really love the Center for Public Justice, uh, which is an excellent organization in D.C. We partner with the Center for Public Justice at the Ann Campaign uh, regularly. Um, in terms of individuals, I mean, I, I met countless people who are who are doing, you know, just this. I mean, I think of 
Gary Haugen, IJM, mm-hmm. International Justice Mission. Yeah. I think of, uh, well, I tell a story in my book about uh, this public servant, Ben O'Dell. And Ben is someone who served in the Bush administration, served in the Obama administration, and now serves during the Trump administration in the faith-based office at uh, the Department of Health and Human Services. Hmm. And uh, he views his role, I think, and he's a friend, uh, as trying to serve as best as he can in the times in which he's living. Hmm. And so, uh, and, and so, uh, he understands he's a, uh, so here's, he's what they call a, um, uh, a career staff, which means that uh, he doesn't leave when a new administration comes in. Uh, he, he, he stays and serves within the administration that is there. And he's just a wonderful example uh, of, of a public servant. I mean, I, I could go down the list. I, I mean, to speak of active elected officials right now, I think Senator Chris Coons is a really good uh, example of someone who, uh, who tests sort of partisan boundaries and treats the other side with respect and seeks to partner with uh, those on the other side of the aisle regularly and, and tries to treat Americans with whom he disagrees uh, well, with respect. And so, yeah, I've, I've seen this. I've seen this a great deal. I'd also say, you know, Russell Moore, who's, who's a friend who, who runs the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Well, we, we don't agree on everything, uh, but gosh, I'm thankful for him. I think he's a wonderful presence in D.C. and uh, a refreshing uh, a witness for the the church in you know very tumultuous waters. Mm. So, Michael, that's that's super practical and super helpful. And what I'm wondering is this: there's a Democratic debate going on. You've talked about the AND campaign. We have an election coming up next year, and like I said, this is going to air podcast in December, so a lot can change. What do you hope people will talk about? in this election year that maybe they're not talking about right now, you know, talk to us as voters. And the cool thing right now, yeah, you worked for President Obama. You've made it very clear that you're just here to get to the common good. So how would you hope people engage this next election, um, you know, in a healthy, helpful way? Gosh, there's so much. Um, (laughs) You, you know, I, I think we need to decide if politics is a sport or if it's about public service. Wow. And, you know, to be frank, we have uh, we, we have uh, a lot of people in positions of power who do not treat it as public service. And so 2020 is an opportunity for us to uh, check the sort of uh, impulses of politicians to claim space that is not theirs, to be in our living room every night, to tr- treat themselves as cultural icons, to, uh, to, to claim that the future of things like the church rely on their political, uh, you know, success. Um, uh, that this is an opportunity to, to, uh, to rightly to, to resituate politics uh, in in a healthier way. 
So that would, that would be one. Uh, two, I think, you know, we've had a conversation about religious freedom in this country over the last, uh, gosh, or last 10 years, probably, uh, that has, uh, treated it as a political football that has treated it, uh, as a zero sum game. Uh, and we need to have a, a serious conversation about what a positive vision for religious freedom is in 21st century pluralistic America and stop using cheap slogans and, uh, sort of using Americans that we don't agree with as foils uh, to drive the debate as opposed to, to principles. Um, I've been very disappointed in the conversation around religious freedom on both sides of the aisle and mm. think that it's an important issue when we think about how we're going to live together. Uh, and then I just say, you know, we're in an interesting moment of disruption, some of which is good and some of which, uh, can be misused and is poorly motivated and shows, um, I think a flippancy, uh, that is, is not, not, uh, not, not good for our country. And so, you know, I, I think, uh, seeing in 2020 who's, who's interested in actually leading the country, the whole country, mm. um, as opposed to, um, stirring up more resentment, uh, stirring up more antagonism. And I think this happens on both sides, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's interesting when I talk about things like this, uh, I, I, I've learned that I need to be, my initial impulse was to be general. So to not, uh, in the hopes that people would apply it to their own side, uh, and, so I want to put folks on the defensive. What I learned is that if you talk about things like civility, uh, if you talk about things like political tribalism, uh, what happens is that folks can leave the conversation think, thinking that you were just talking about oh. those they disagree with. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, right. But, but it's really important that we're, that when we're talking about things like civility, when we're talking about things like, political idolatry and whether, whether, uh, sort of partisanship is guiding your values rather than, and frankly, guiding your faith rather than your faith guiding your politics. Uh, it's, it's really best, uh, to, uh, turn that analysis, uh, on oneself and then one's own sort of political side first and only then start looking to, to the other other side, so to speak, uh, and so I'm hoping we'll see we'll 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 see a bit of that in 2020, if not from the candidates themselves, uh, that that citizens will stand up and demand better from our political candidates. Wow, wow! There's so much in what you're saying here, Michael, and and as an author, as someone who's been on you know multiple podcasts, talking with people, I assume. You, you probably these are questions that you probably get a lot. I mean, you you've thought through them really well. <laughs> I'm, uh, and I appreciate your perspective on this. One one question that comes to my mind as as you're even talking, I'm I'm sitting here going, 
man, I bet you in some ways he gets the same kind of questions. I wonder if there's any question that you wish people would ask you. Like, what's the question that you leave a lot of podcasts and you're like, man, I just wish they would have asked me this question, but we never get around to anybody asking me that question. Do you have any, does anything like that stick out to you? You know, not right now. I will say, um, and this isn't reflective of our conversation at all, yeah. uh, uh, but the question raises to my mind the fact that I do leave some conversation um, with a sort of, um, l- let me say this. So my my job is politics. Mm. Uh, it is it is my um, it is my profession. I get a, a little uncomfortable when um, when I come across uh, folks whose profession is not politics, mm. and yet they're they can't get their head out of poll out of you know the latest polls, or mm. you know they're they're constantly talking about horse race sort of stuff. I mean, this, this is my job. <laughs> and so, you know, this, this is what, just, just like uh, someone in uh, a, a, another field might, uh, uh, is certainly going to uh, be in the weeds and be excited and, and have a, a wealth of knowledge um, because, because that, that's what uh, sort of, that's where they're toiling. Um uh, you, you know, I do. I do leave some conversations uh, feeling like. Um, well, l- l- let me say this: uh, we often talk about politics as if it is something that confounds Jesus. Mm. That it is something that we must. Um, that we must. Yeah, maybe we'll take a few sort of principles or general sort of theological tenets and maybe try to implement those as we're thinking about politics. But really this is something we have to do on our own. This is something that, uh, uh, this is something that is sort of outside of the purview of the kingdom of God. Uh, and I get really concerned when I hear, uh, people with, uh, pastoral responsibilities in particular who seem to take that approach. And so often, you know, I, I think one, one question that I do get sometimes, but that other times I just the conversation ends without is, you know, talk about political strategy, talk about, you know, the state of the country. Um, I, I want folks to know that, uh, uh, Jesus has everything in control, that nothing is happening mm. Outside of his purview, that he he is sovereign, uh, and that uh, that we can actually um, uh, we can actually expect that Jesus will meet us in our political life as he does in every other aspect of our life. Mm. Uh, that the promises of God do not fall short of politics. Uh, politics is not the one realm uh, that just confuses Jesus. 
that, oh, we could invite Jesus into our relationships. We could invite him into, uh, uh, into our prayer time. But, oh, once we go into that ballot box, oh, it's just too, too corrupting, too, too confusing <laughs> for Jesus to have anything. No, Jesus understands everything about our political options. He understands the state of our country. He's actually, he's actually telling us if, if we'll, if we'll go to him in prayer. Uh, and, and if we actually, um, trust him with our conscience, if we trust him with some of the decisions we have to make, that that is the safest place we could be. Mm-hmm. We don't need to seek security in politics so that we can follow Jesus everywhere else in our lives. We are secure in Jesus, and that gives us freedom to engage in politics, in our relationships, in our jobs, with the freedom that that security brings. Wow, I love that. I love that that's where you go with that question. So, well, awesome. so we have two more questions for you, but <clears throat> Michael, I just I want to point out, I'm looking at a picture of a mug, and I think this relates to both of us. So the mug says this, please do not confuse your Google search with my theology degree. And then I'm going to, so, so I'm going to, I'm going to say this, please don't confuse your Google search with my political experience. Does that sound good? Man, it, it is, uh, look, so it's a careful line I try and walk, which is, I believe civic involvement is a beautiful thing. And I, I want people engaged. I, I especially appreciate when pe- when people's hearts are, uh, on fire for an issue and they really dig into a space, really learn about it and, and, and are, are able to then steward that knowledge that they've gained into serving their communities. That's all, that's all wonderful. I, I will say something that I've seen is, um, uh, let, let, I'll just be direct folks who I, in either direction, uh, are reacting to, uh, this presidency, uh, and, and that's gotten them sort of politically engaged, mm. uh, and they don't have much of a historical perspective mm. of what came before, uh, they, they're regurgitating information that comes from biased sources. I mean, so when we're talking about sort of, when we think about Christians in this administration, I've been very outspoken uh, on that topic. Um, but we we need to be cognizant that it's not like, uh, it's not like a lot of the voices that were critical of Christians, um, uh, that are critical of Christians who support Trump we're, we're like ecstatic that Christians were supporting George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, 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 like there's a, there's a political motive behind a lot of the conversation. That doesn't mean that we ignore everything. That doesn't mean that we filter everything out, but I see folks who weren't caring about politics three years ago, who are now some of the more polemic judgmental uh, and dogmatic sort of actors in our political discourse today. Mm. And, and I would just, um, and I've seen this in policy debates too. Uh, I think we have a discourse right now that suggests that the more angry you are, uh, the more dismissive you are, then sort of the more you have at stake 
or sort of the more um, convictional you are. Uh, anger and conviction are not synonymous. Uh-huh. Uh, derision, uh, derision and confidence are not only not synonymous, I, I would argue that the people who are uh, most sort of frantic, mo- the, the most sort of um, uh, uh, antagonistic are actually those who are least confident <laughs> are actually those uh, are actually those who are trying to sort of muster up a sort of uh, presentation that they that they don't have that they can't build up on on, on the merits of the case itself um, and uh, I would also argue based on my experience there's folks who have been laboring the longest and the hardest uh, uh, who, who have, whose lives are uh, 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 sort of uh, impacted greatest by some of our political debates that operate with the, the, the healthiest perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I think those, those kind of dynamics play in. So uh, I think civic involvement is a beautiful thing. I think everyone should be, um, everyone should, should, uh, Politics is an essential forum for loving your neighbor Hmm. Uh, and political withdrawal sends a message to your neighbors that their welfare, at least in the realm of politics, is not a concern uh, to you. And we need to reject that. We also need to reject, again, sort of this um, this this um, treating political involvement as uh, as a hobby or as a badge as a public identifier um, in a way that, again, distracts from the primary purpose of politics. Again, just to put a finer, just to put, you know, restate this and maybe put a finer point on it. People think that by yelling and by sort of deriding others uh, that, that they're really sort of making the best that they're really caring the most, that they're really advancing, uh, uh, that they're really sort of doing politics at its utmost. But, but, that, but that's not politics. Mm. Mm. <laughs> politics is about uh, uh, finding ways to get things done and not just yelling about it and not just complaining about it <laughs> and, and not just sort of being able to claim that, that, that you're, you're the enlightened one and everyone else sort of, uh, uh, sort of needs to catch up with you. That's not, that's not politics. Man, Michael, we, we really appreciate this conversation. Um, you know, <clears throat> we usually close with a question of like, what does Jesus have to do with this? And John and I answer, I think you've answered that like a lot of, <laughs> you know, I, I guess, you know, I, I guess the final question for the three of us that I'm just going to twist a little bit is I'd like us to spend time talking to the person that is disillusioned with the church because of politics. So yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I think for the three of us, you know, to answer that, I, I think, you know, what would you say to the person about Jesus and being disillusioned with the church because of politics? So John and I will get it started yeah. and then we'll let you close up. And um, again, we went a little bit longer on this podcast, but I I think it's well worth it for our listeners. This is a big topic. So John and I are going to get it started. And then whatever we mess up, you can put back together. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. (laughs)
Uh, yeah. yeah, well, you know, I think that's a good question, Peter. I, I, I think about what the early Christians first accepted as like, what was the revolutionary message for them? The revolutionary message that really stood out about Christianity is that these people said that Jesus is Lord. Uh, and essentially, Jesus is king. That's not a shout out to Kanye. That's a that's a he the, that was a Bible thing before Kanye did it. Although I love Kanye, thank you Kanye for putting out that latest album. Um, but um, I think that idea is something that certainly you've referred to, Michael, and that I think we as a church maybe need to get back to is that ultimately. Our our allegiance uh, goes beyond a political party. It goes to Jesus. He is our true king. And once we kind of have security in him, then it allows us to participate in the process in a way that our identity isn't – if someone wins an election, loses an election, it doesn't really matter because we know who truly uh, sits on the throne. Uh, so that's, that's how I would take that question, Peter. It, you came up with that question, though. How would you answer it? <laughs> That's a great thing about being on podcast. You can yeah. ask a question that you want to answer. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, as I've been listening to you, Michael, and reading Reclaiming Hope, which I recommend everybody to read, I I, I just think, I think about Jesus's disciples. So we have Simon the Zealot, that is the progressive, um, you know, challenging the establishment, you know, kind of the Occupy Wall Street, wanting to dethrone the government. And then you have Matthew, who's a tax collector and who works for Rome and who is believing in Rome and who is making money off of Rome. And somehow for three years, these two men coexisted. And I, I think about people disillusioned with the church because of politics. You know, I, I think my challenge would be First of all, what Jesus says, Jesus brings together natural born enemies under the gospel, but then how Jesus lives that out is part of transformed faith is the ability to live in a pluralistic society with grace and truth and living in such a way that people want to engage you. And so if you're disillusioned, my hope is that you haven't gravitated towards a political party, but maybe that this, you know, disruption in your faith is actually an invitation to experience how Jesus is supposed to be experienced as opposed to the American version of Jesus that we've created. Michael, what do you think? Yeah. So, so I think, I think this is the critical question. Uh, and, and I would I would urge folks who are disillusioned with the presentation of Christians in politics uh, to, to look Jesus in the face, mm. to, to, to go straight to him. Uh, I, 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 I say this with all tenderness and graciousness. But but don't use the poor example of some Christians as a as a way to obfuscate and sort of cop out from the from from making the decision that is presented to you by by the person of Jesus, mm. by the God of justice, by the God of love. Uh, he is the standard, not the hucksters and the charlatans that we see on cable news every night. Uh, 
Uh, and so you, you can, you can go to him, ask him what he thinks about the state of our world. Ask him what he thinks about the state of our politics. Uh, and, and, and don't let sort of all of this gamesmanship, all of this money fueled, uh, commentary cloud for you the God who speaks through the scriptures and is present with us uh, today if if we invite him scripture says uh, if you uh, love me uh, Jesus says in, in John if you love me you will obey my teaching and my father will love you and we will come to you and we will make our home with you that's the, that's the promise of scripture but it it requires it requires actually answering the question that's posed, which is not, are Christians perfect? Which is not, have they done everything right? It is, is Jesus who he says he is. Mm. Uh, and so that, that's what I, uh, that's what I'd urge you to do. If we had more people uh, doing that, uh, then the Christian witness in our politics would probably be a lot healthier uh, too. Wow. Man, Michael, thank you so much for giving your time. And um, we're grateful for the work in the way that you're serving, um, living out the gospel here. Hey, one question I have for Michael. Probably a lot of people are going to want to follow him after this podcast. If if uh, people want to follow you online, Michael, how do they go about doing that? Well, I tweet way too much. So <laughs> Twitter is a good place. Um, I, I also put together, uh, so my, my Twitter handle is Michael R. Ware, W-E-A-R. Uh-huh. Uh, and then my wife and I do a regular uh, three to four times a week uh, newsletter on faith, politics, culture. What we really are, are trying to do is uh, 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 curate and cultivate a community um, that can, uh, we try and put uh, kind of the news you need in one spot, uh, with a Christian lens so that you don't have to sort of be frantically think, uh, searching for everything, being on sort of the news sites all the time, wondering if you missed something. We, we try and do a, uh, uh, not a perfectly comprehensive, but a pretty, pretty fulsome job of that. And I provide sort of exclusive analysis and, and, uh, news through that as well. And that you can just uh, go to reclaiming hope dot substack.com to uh to sign up for that newsletter but but those are uh th- those two are are probably the best best ways to, to stay in touch awesome well we'll plan on sharing that on our channels and uh you know for more on this podcast you can follow us on facebook twitter and instagram wgw podcast uh there and then you can also go to why got why podcast.com And uh, we're so thankful for Michael and his time with us. And uh, we hope you have a wonderful day. 